Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. And as we look this morning to Matthew chapter 11, and it is my hope that our study of this chapter would be an encouragement to you. All of this is fitting together, as the Lord often does. We, in our Wednesday night study in Genesis, and then spending some time on the topic of evangelism the last couple of weeks, and I'll just give you a heads up, we're going to spend the entire Wednesday night on evangelism again. I mentioned we would do a little bit at the beginning, then jump back into Genesis. We're just going to spend the whole time there because of the questions and comments afterwards, because of the opportunity uh, to just spend a little bit more time focusing on Well, the last two weeks, admittedly, were more about uh, the proof that evangelism is important and necessary, but the thing is, is I think we can all recognize that evangelism at this point needs less proof, it needs more practice, and uh, so that's where we're going to spend some time on Wednesday night, just a little bit more in the practical component of that. But all that to say, God is working all of these things together, and even as we come into Matthew 11 here today, I hope that this is an encouragement to you, that the last couple of studies through Matthew uh, 9 and 10 maybe helped to increase your faith, and perhaps here in Matthew 11, it will serve to strengthen your faith. And so let's read, let's go to verse 11 together here this morning. We'll pray and begin. It says in Matthew 11, verse 1, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are kings, are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. We'll stop there. Let's agree once more in prayer. Father, we pause here now as we look to your word, and Lord, we are grateful for it, and we ask, Lord, once again, by your spirit, Lord, give us understanding. Speak to us, Lord, through your word this morning. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our own lives, that we would leave here with a greater sense, Lord, of what you have for us, Lord, not selfishly, but in a desire, Lord, to, to, to live our lives for you in a way that's pleasing to you, to ultimately, Lord, bring you glory. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have this time together this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again here, we read in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Remember from chapter 10 that Jesus has called his disciples together and he has given them their marching orders. He communicated with them in some respects as a military commander would communicate with his soldiers saying, here are the orders, here is the direction. And he reminded them that ministry will not be easy. He says that persecution will come. 
that like we considered last week, and I believe this is true for each and every Christian today, that as you go deeper with Christ, the greater the risk of danger in your own life, the greater the risk of the attacks of the enemy on your life. And this is really the unexpected truth about who Jesus is. It's amazing that even still today, roughly 2,000 years later, we can be confused about what life in Christ looks like because so many seek to come in and suggest that it will amount to a life of peace and prosperity here and now rather than in the life to come. But this is what Jesus, what life following Jesus is like. From the Sermon on the Mount, which turns much of our worldly understanding on its head, it it flips it upside down, to, to even certainly those who Jesus was spending his time with, as we've considered over the last several weeks, the, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, sinners. Jesus consistently surprises people. There is a lot about Jesus and life in Christ that is unexpected. The call of Jesus comes to those who seek to follow after Him and learn from Him and live their lives for Him. The call that says, He who finds His life will lose it. And he who loses His life for my sake will find it. This is unexpected. This runs counter to our thinking. This is radical stuff, okay? It doesn't always make sense. And it doesn't mean that it's not wonderful to live for Christ, but it means that you may have difficulties in this life. But we're obedient to Him and surrendered to Him. And when we are, we have peace which surpasses understanding. It means it doesn't make sense, but yet we're, we're, pe- we're at peace with it. And we find ourselves growing in joy. Joy that's inexpressible because it comes from a supernatural place. And we look forward with great hope then to the life where we do have peace and we do have prosperity for all of eternity amen but i wonder do any of you ever find jesus's sayings the things that jesus says do you ever find them difficult do any of you maybe reflect on what the life that the bible calls you to live or or all of these things that you believe about jesus is there ever a little doubt that enters in a thought of is is all of this real is jesus really who i think that he is maybe when you came to christ you expected things to happen one way in your life and and in many ways life in christ has just turned out so differently than you ever thought maybe in this year the year 2020 you have just really grown overwhelmed trying to balance what you know of Jesus and what you know of what your faith should be like as you consider the circumstances of this world. And, and you've been working to, to push back fear and anxiety as you seek to trust Jesus. Or you just simply look at the chaos in our world and you wonder, Lord, how long? And as you ask that question, maybe you find it hard to believe that God hasn't intervened yet, and so it causes you even more to begin to, to doubt aspects of His Word. I want this morning, as we consider this chapter, I want to give you permission to express your doubts. And I want to then invite you to refresh your perspective and see that Jesus is, in fact, deserving of your worship, of your trust, and of your belief. 
Because let me be clear, doubts are different than unbelief. Doubts are different than unbelief. And we serve a God who is bigger than your doubts. We serve a God who is bigger than your questions, but a God who desires to minister to you in your doubts and to answer your questions. And so it's okay. He can handle it. He can handle you coming to Him and saying, Lord, I'm struggling. Alistair McGrath writes this, Doubt is natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty. Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that He stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. And it is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. It is normal for you, Christian, to say, Lord, I want you to strengthen my faith. I'm struggling to believe this. I'm struggling to have confidence in this, Lord. Would you help me? And when we doubt, not that I would advocate necessarily for more of it, not that I would say, let's increase our doubt today, But when we do doubt, the fact is we find ourselves in good company. We find ourselves with those who have gone before us. For as we'll see in our study today, John the Baptist himself, the one who was called as a messenger and as a prophet to prepare the way for Jesus, had his doubts as to who he was. And we can learn some things both in his circumstances as well as in Jesus' response to him that can be of help and encouragement for each of us today. So again, Jesus has now gone out to continue to, to teach. He, he sent his, he's given his disciples their orders, and we read in verse 2, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now this is a simple and direct question. John was able to ask very direct questions. But what this question communicates is is really much more. John, who had been in prison now for a little while, we learned that back in Matthew chapter 4, that he had been in prison because he had been boldly standing for truth, is now hearing different things about Jesus. And so he sends, sort of via his own disciples, the original followers of John the Baptist, he sends through some of them to Jesus to ask a question. And the question was, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? John was asking this question from a place of doubt. John had baptized Jesus for crying out loud. I mean, he had had been there. He He had declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and yet now he's sending a question to Jesus, are you really him? Why? Well, let's consider a few things about where John's at for a moment. Three things to be exact. First, John was going through a very difficult time. John was imprisoned for doing what he was called to do, for speaking truth and holding others accountable, and now he was suffering. Suffering in prison, and he was missing out on on what really was the fulfillment of everything that he had worked for. If he was called to herald the coming of the Messiah and now that the Messiah has come and he's in prison, what a letdown. 
Secondly, as John considered the prophecies of the Messiah, if he was honest, some of what he was hearing just didn't quite add up. No doubt John, who as we'll see here shortly, Jesus says, he's the greatest prophet. And so the greatest prophet is considering the other prophets and their messages, and he has to be thinking, this doesn't make sense. As Isaiah 31 verse 4 of the Messiah reads, Say to those who fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. And elsewhere in Isaiah 61.1, which in part says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound as John sat in shackles awaiting death. Jesus, where are you? And as he hears news of Jesus, he hears that he's out at parties with tax collectors. He's out healing Gentiles, not defeating Rome, restoring peace to Israel. John effectively says, if this is the Messiah, it is not who I expected him to be. And I want you to see this this morning because you see John's example helps us to see today, and please make note of this, that sometimes our difficult circumstances and our unmet expectations can serve to truly limit our perspective and fuel our doubt. Sometimes our difficult circumstances and our unmet expectations Limit our perspective and fuel our doubt. But it's important what we see John do at this moment. It's incredibly important because what he does is he takes this doubt and he brings it to Jesus. He doesn't take his doubts and seek to reconcile them with the opinions and the wisdom of this world. He doesn't seek out Herod and say, Herod, what do you think about this? He doesn't seek out the religious teachers of the day and say, well, what do you guys think about this? He doesn't seek out the Romans and say, well, what do you guys think about this? He takes his questions, he takes his concerns, he takes his doubt, and he brings them to Jesus. And Jesus responds. In verse 4 we read, and Jesus answered and said to them. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we can pass over passages of Scripture because it just seems as if, well, this is just sort of narrative at this moment. But I love verses that say, and Jesus answered. Because Jesus still answers today. I want you to understand that and believe that. And Jesus answered the one who came to him with doubts and said to them, go and tell John. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. And what a wonderful moment here for Jesus is. I don't think Jesus was communicating with John in in a way of arrogance at all, but what, what an incredible statement to make. John, you're asking if I'm Him? You're asking if I'm the Messiah? Let me tell you, the blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the Gospel preached to them. The good news of Jesus Christ. Now, why does Jesus respond this way? We might be inclined to initially just think, well, because he's like, man, look at everything that's happening. Look at everything I'm doing. And and that's partially true. I mean, Jesus Jesus is declaring, look, look, look at all the things that, that serve as a sign, that serve as proof. But here's the wonderful thing about how Jesus responds is that Jesus understands without John even expressly communicating it, he understands John's doubting. 
John's concerned, and he knows, because Jesus knows our hearts and our minds, he knows what John is struggling with. And so knowing where the doubt is coming from on the part of John, because remember, if John is really thinking and doing his job well, he's thinking back on the prophets, and John's thinking, Isaiah 35, 4, be strong, do not fear, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense, he's going to set me free. Because John, like many others, wants to see the kingdom, he wants to see Herod and Rome and the Pharisees dealt with. And how does John respond, or how does Jesus respond to John? Well, if John's thinking 35.4, Jesus is thinking 35.5 and 6. And what does that say? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. See, Jesus knows exactly what John needs to hear to reinforce that I am He. Jesus says to John, it's me. I'm doing it. What you have proclaimed, the prophecy you know, it's happening. And in verse 6 he says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me, which would be better translated, you can trust me. You can trust me. Or elsewhere, some of your translations may say, happy is the man who never loses faith in me. Which for you And for me today, means this. When our difficulties and our trials and our unmet expectations limit our perspective, we must first remember what God has done. You've been hearing this on Wednesday night. You heard it a little bit last Sunday. It continues to just come up in different ways. The psalmist in Psalm 77, 11 declares, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. That psalmist, when he declares that, spent the, spent the first 10 verses saying, God, I am deep in depression. God, I am deep in discouragement. God, I am anxious. I am hurting. I am struggling. I can't sleep I can't do any of these things Lord help me and as he cries out to God the way John cries out to Jesus God responds and says remember don't let your perspective be clouded don't let all of these things going on your difficulties your trials your unmet expectations not that they're not real Jesus doesn't say John suck it up bro prison's not that bad he doesn't say that He doesn't try and and diminish what he's experiencing, but he says, let's change your perspective here. He says, remember. Now, what happens here then in verses 7 through 14 is that it seems people started to wonder, is there a tension between Jesus and John the Baptist? If you remember back in chapter 9, John's disciples had come with another question. Jesus, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't your disciples fasting? They were struggling a little bit. So this continues to tell us there was a bit of a a challenge to really understand what was going on. And so now this question likely comes from some people who were beginning to, to talk and maybe even to condemn John. And so Jesus takes the opportunity not just to defend John, but to commend him. As he says in verse 7, as they departed, Jesus began to see to say to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? And this is pretty funny. If you don't think that Jesus has a sense of humor, he basically says, do you want to see a weed blowing around? Is that why you went to the desert? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? We know John was not clothed in soft garments. John was a weird guy, okay? And they went out to see him, and he was all dressed up in this, this coarse fur, and he was eating locusts dipped in honey. 
a, a wonderful treat, you know? He says, did you go out to see somebody in soft clothing? Meaning, that, did, you, did you expect to see a king out in the desert? No, they're in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. Why is it more than a prophet? Because for John, he had the, the distinct privilege of being the one, not just the one who would say, hey, this is coming in time, but the one who was sort of the, both the prophet and the fulfillment of prophecy, according to Malachi, who was going to come and say, I'm preparing people for Jesus. For this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And then he says in verse 11, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. He's saying, hey, amongst all of you natural born, indicating a little bit here the, the source of Jesus, that he was in fact a, a, an immaculate conception, okay, the Son of God. He says, hey, of everybody else, John, he's the most incredible. But here's what's even greater. Listen to this, because this, this involves you, Christian. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than he. Now that can seem like a paradox to us. Like, wait a second, you just said John was, the John was like the best, right? But what here Jesus is alluding to is John is working and will die under the old covenant. You, Christian, are under a new covenant. And Matthew 28, 19 prepares you to be a messenger as well. No differently than John, who was to prepare the way for Jesus. Now you, Christian, get the Holy Spirit inside of you and upon you to go out and tell the world and to testify about Jesus Christ. So guess what, Christian? You're even greater than John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. This means that uh, persecution has, is the norm for those who are doing this work. In verse 13, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus here makes the connection between John the Baptist and Elijah, again spoken of in, in Malachi, and suggesting here that John comes in the spirit of Elijah. But we also believe in uh, and know that Elijah will come again in those last days. I believe that he will be one of the prophets that comes and testifies uh, during the time of the tribulation. And so Jesus here, he defends and he commends John the Baptist, but now he focuses the attention back on those in the cities that he is ministering to. And what we begin to see here, because that was just a little bit of a pause there to defend John, but now he really brings us back to and kind of continues this line of reasoning that's sparked by the doubt that comes from John the Baptist. is So now we see here Jesus look now to the cities and the people that he's been ministering to. And really this extends us through verse 24 because there are some who, who, there are some who doubt in the context of faith unto belief. So that's my encouragement to you this morning is it's okay for us to doubt if we doubt unto belief. Meaning we have these doubts but we take it to Jesus because we want to understand because we want to grow in our faith, because we, want, we, don't, we don't want to hold on to these things and pretend like Jesus doesn't know our hearts, but instead to be honest and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Like John, they, they're struggling and they bring their doubts to Jesus, but then there are those who doubt unto unbelief and they reject Jesus. And in verse 16, Jesus says, but to what shall I liken this generation? 
It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. Right? He's, he's so weird, he's not doing the things that normal people do. He must be messed up, he's got a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, look, he's a glutton and a wine bibber. He's a drunk. So Jesus comes doing, for the most part, the normal thing, and everybody says, oh, something's wrong with him. He's a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. And Jesus says, but wisdom is justified by her children, which essentially means you'll know the fruit. You'll see. But in essence, what Jesus is communicating here is he says to this generation, he says, what do you want? Celebration? Nope. Mourning? No. A disciplined and an introverted man? No. A fun and an extroverted man? No. And as Jesus continues here in verse 20, he basically asks, oh, how about some signs and some miracles and some wonders? Do you want that? Verse 20, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven. What does it mean that they're exalted to heaven? It means that in Capernaum, when Jesus, where Jesus did the majority of his ministry and performed all these, these wonderful signs and miracles, that they were all about it. Business was booming. Oh, we're getting the NCAA playoffs in our city? Fantastic. Restaurants, hotels, right? We're going to go ahead and put on the sign out and as you enter into Columbia, home of the such and such world champions, right? Or whatever it is. Rest assured, as you go to Capernaum today, you can go to Capernaum today. And what do you think's on the sign as you go into the city? Town of Jesus, right? No differently. And so, yes, we're exalted to heaven because this is the place Jesus did things. But Jesus looks at him and he says, You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah, it wouldn't have passed away. It would not have been destroyed if they'd seen what I'm doing right now. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And so basically Jesus goes on to say, but the miracles and the signs and the wonders, they didn't work for some either. They still would not repent. Why? Well, Jesus answers that question here as he begins to pray out loud. In verse 25, Jesus at that time answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Jesus reveals to us first here that just like those who seek to reconcile their doubts with the wisdom of the world, rather than taking it to Jesus, so those who profess to be wise and mature and learned can't seem to grasp the things of God. Rather, it's those who come to Him in humility and dependence. That's what repentance is. It's in humble dependence. You come to Him. To say that we are to have faith like a child or like here, as He says, like a babe, in this way is not to say that we blindly believe and abandon all reason. That's not what that communicates. Faith like a child does not communicate that. Kids are smart. However, kids are 
dependent on their parents. Kids do love their parents. They want to spend time with them. They depend on them. And so we are to depend on, trust in, recognize that, hey, without God the Father, without Jesus, what will I do? Verse 26, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, those who bring their doubts to Jesus, who first remember what God has done, who see the things He has done, and then in humility repent, will draw near to God. And He will draw near to you, Scripture promises. And that is all a work of God. As Jesus prays here, He is the one who calls. He is the one who draws. He is the one who invites. It's God who does this work. And as we respond, we begin to experience then one of the greatest promises that we have in Scripture. As Jesus then says in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's go back to the beginning for a moment here as we start to close. Difficult circumstances trials, unmet expectations. Are there any of you here today who can't say that you can relate to one of those things? Anybody who's like, nope, never had any of that in my life? Every expectation met, never a trial, never a hardship, just easy peasy. I didn't think so. The problem is these hardships, these trials, these unmet expectations can affect our vision. It can limit our perspective. It can fuel our doubts. And so we take those doubts to Jesus. That's who you're to take those doubts to. Be willing to be open and honest with Him. He knows your heart. You can't hide anything from God. You can't hide anything from Him. If I make my bed in heaven, oh, you are there. If I make my place in hell, you are there. You can't run from Him. You can't hide from Him. So you best be honest with Him and say, Lord, I'm struggling Lord, this doesn't make sense. Lord, I don't know why you're doing this. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Lord, I'm struggling in my faith right now. Lord, you seem distant from me. It's okay. You think you're going to suddenly say something and he's going to go, oh, I'm totally offended right now and I am leaving. No, be honest with him. Share your, share your struggles with him. And as you do, he will respond and he will bring your mind back. To remember. Remember when I did this in your life? Remember what I was doing here? Afterward, you said, oh Lord, now I get it. Now I understand why you did this. Lord, if you hadn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. And you begin to remember these things. You remember His works. You, you remember what He's done in other people's life. You remember what He's done throughout history. And it begins to encourage you. And by the way, it's okay if you say, I'm, Lord, I'm a little encouraged, but I'm not that encouraged yet. Help me, Lord. 
as long as you remain humble, and that's really what the repentance part is about. I've told you that doubting is not necessarily bad, so I'm not suggesting today to you that it is sin that you need to, to repent of, but repentance is also about choosing to turn from it and to believe. And so repenting from your doubts is about saying, Lord, I'm going to choose to believe. I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose to turn from doubt and to trust. Because ultimately we see that Jesus will condemn the indifferent. And so for some maybe today, this isn't about you as a Christian struggling. This is about you as one who's never surrendered your life to Christ because of those doubts. And yes, for you, it is about repentance, turning from your sin, asking Jesus for forgiveness and inviting him into your life. Because as Jesus made clear there, He is sovereign over all things and He will condemn those who are indifferent towards Him. But finally, as we remember and as we repent, we choose to turn from doubt. He says, and come rest. Why does Jesus conclude here? In this time, as we know, Jesus had come not only to set humanity free from from bondage of sin and death and to restore us to a right relationship with God, but He was also very much dealing with the practical aspects of the Jewish religion of that time. And in the same way that Jesus pronounced woes on the cities that rejected him, he, he, he pronounced woes upon the Pharisees as well, as he says in Matthew 23, 4, who bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. And so just as the Jewish people of the day, so often we today, in light of everything we've discussed here, in light of all of your, your struggles, your, your difficulties, your circumstances, your discouragement, your unmet expectations, we're no different than they were at this time. And, and we can find ourselves striving to do what we are supposed to do. Striving to be a good person. Striving to live out the Word, the Bible. Striving to trust, but never doubt. Put it away, push it aside, push it down deep. Striving to never question, at least out loud, striving to, to be perfect, to continue to be this person that you're supposed to be. But like John, at least I think, if, if you're like me, and maybe it's just me, but you go, hey, I'm struggling a little bit right now. Jesus, is it really, is it really you? Is what I'm doing the right thing, Lord? Is all this really what you say it is? Are, are, you, are you there, Lord? And Jesus says, look at the things I've done. Look at what I'm doing right now. Remember my works. Trust me. Believe me. And then in such an act of grace and mercy, he says, and come join me. He says, here, come. Come to me. You're laboring. You're burdened. I want to give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. And this is interesting, right? Because we know that the yoke is, any of you going to wear a yoke around today? Doesn't sound very light and free, does it? A yoke is an instrument for work. And so friends, coming to Jesus does not mean escape. We're still called to go through some of these things. Saying, yes, Jesus, I want rest. I take that yoke. And you walk outside today and you go, man, that, that, that problem didn't go away. Stinking COVID's still here. No, that's not what it's about. But you are able to go out and say, Yep, that problem's still here, and Jesus, you're with me. We're still called to work, but he invites us to work with him. You know, a yoke allowed two animals, typically oxen, to work at a task together. And oftentimes, what's, what's fantastic here is what the farmer would do. A good farmer would take a stronger, more experienced ox and then take the younger, weaker, and inexperienced one and yoke them together so that the younger would not be burdened and they could learn and be trained up and know how to do it. 
That's called discipleship. And Jesus says, come, join me. You're striving. You're struggling. You're straining. You're laboring. Take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle. I'll teach you. I'll help you. And you'll find that place of confident trust and rest in me. Amen? And listen, I don't know what you may be struggling with today, what doubts you may be wrestling with, but I want to tell you it's okay. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. As the psalmist David writes, and here's where Jimmy went this morning and didn't ask me and I didn't tell him, to 4610, be still and know that I am God. Do you know what it means to be still? To cease striving. Do you know in the last song that we're going to sing, that part of what you sing is when striving cease? When striving cease. Stop making such great effort to achieve or to obtain something. That's the definition of it. Instead, take that thing that you're striving for and bring it to Jesus. And remember that He is God. Remember that He is God. Repent, that is believe and trust and begin to rest in Him. Let Him help. Learn from Him. And so I'm going to pray for you now and then we'll sing. And Father, we come to You, Lord. I pray with humble hearts, Lord, recognizing who You are and that You are the one that we are to come to and that there are many hearts in this room here this morning and those watching online. And Lord, You know those hearts far better than even we know our own. And Lord, I know that there are many struggles here as well. And that today, we would make the decision to remember who you are and what you've done. To look around and be able to see the way in which you're moving still today. To look inward and recognize that you have, you have changed us, Lord. And though we are not yet who you have created us to be, we are not who we once were. For you at work in us, Lord. And that we would choose to, to trust that you are working still. And to be honest with you about our doubts and our concerns. But instead of striving, Lord, for whatever it is that we may be struggling to achieve or accomplish or solve, that we would say, Lord, I need you to take it. Lord, I can't do it anymore. I need your help. So, Lord, help me. Help me to rest, Lord, and help me to take this load. Teach me, Lord. Help me to, help me to learn from you how to navigate this life that you've called me to. And so I would just encourage each of you as we sing here this morning to take whatever that is and just lay it down, to remember, to repent, and to rest. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you called us to this, that you're here for us. We praise you, Lord, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.